0: You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening.
1: Back into the Doctor's Lounge. I'm your host, Dr. Hal Schurz. And every week, myself and my co-host, Dr. Mike, bring you the best in healthcare chat radio. We talk to you about the same issues that we talk about in doctors' lounges all across the country. And we try to inform you and educate you and give you the information that you need so that you can advocate for yourself and for your family and for your healthcare needs. This show is brought to you by the Docs for Patient Care Foundation. We are the only physician-led healthcare think tank in the country. We have uh, been out there fighting the battles on behalf of our patients, and our goals are preservation of the doctor-patient relationship and fighting for healthcare freedom for all Americans. Go to our website www.d4pcfoundation.org That's d4pcfoundation.org and go through things that are on that website and educate yourself about the things that we've taken the time to put up there and you'll, I think, be um, very uh, pleased by what you're reading because these are the issues that affect each and every one of us and you need to support what we're doing. So please... Give generously to our efforts. No amount is too small nor too big. And this radio show is one of the many efforts that we have out there to educate the public. So if you like this show and what you see on the website, we need your help. So please give generously and uh, continue to allow us to continue doing what we're doing. So... Here we are. It's hard to believe that we're nearing the end of February in 2019 already. The um the time just seems to fly by incredibly quickly. Those of you around the country who are getting killed with this terrible weather, I'm so sorry about that. It's uh it's been a uh, awful awful winter so far. Um the uh state legislatures are in uh In session all across the country, and issues regarding health care are on uh, their dockets all over the country. Uh, I don't think it's any surprise we talk about the issues on this show all the time. We talk about health care and the incredibly high cost of health care for Americans, um, and that health care does not need to necessarily be expensive, but there are special interests that are uh, involved in healthcare, which is almost a $3.5 trillion industry right now, and uh, when you get that kind of money, there's an incredible amount of greed in the system. Just this morning, I was reading about the uh, final touches on The CVS-Aetna merger, which is going to uh, just be absolutely devastating for people and their costs. If it's not bad enough, getting prescriptions and getting uh, uh, taken care of, um, it's going to be even worse when these um, consolidations continue to be allowed to uh, happen. The perpetrators of the high cost of health care are you know obvious to anybody who's been paying attention with uh, it, with regard to uh, health care the insurance companies of course are are uh, very um, much culpable in in all of this record profits uh, the um, narrowing of networks we talk about There needs to be uh, insurance reform. The best way to do insurance reform, of course, is to cut out as much from insurance as possible, and we talk about direct primary care all the time on this show as the vehicle to make that happen. The pharmaceutical companies, specifically the pharmacy benefit management companies or PBMs who are sucking resources out of the system and raping, yes, raping the public and charging ungodly amounts of money as middlemen so that they can reap profits at the expense of patients, is just inconscionable. The Generic drugs, which were the answer for the high cost of brand prescription drugs, are going up and up because of these PBMs that that force um, employers on their pharmacy benefit management plans to go to a certain um, a certain drug. and then these companies, um, get kickbacks from the PBMs because the PBMs are making an incredible amount of money because they've allowed the prices to, to go up. And it's, it's one big cartel between the insurers, the pharmaceutical companies, and the PBMs. And we're hearing the efforts in Washington, um, reading about them, where they're trying to have um, level pricing, international pricing, so that Americans pay the same amount for their drugs as people in France or in Brazil or in South Korea. And there's no reason why we should have to pay more and subsidize these drugs Um, fat cat insurance, I'm sorry, fat cat pharmacy companies, pharmaceutical companies, and be the piggy bank for the world at the expense of our patients.
0: How exactly uh, how much work does a PBM do? Now, you know, do they warehouse all these pills or do they do, they don't to my knowledge, they don't touch them, they don't do anything other than Basically, com- commit blackmail to get people to uh, t- uh, to pay outrageous prices.
1: Well, the P- the P- David the PBMs um, served a purpose, which was to help insurance companies to manage their formulary. But something happened along the way where they've been given way too much power, and and um, and and. Quite frankly, there's you know too much um, under the table graft going on between the pharmaceutical companies and these PBMs, so that they are pushing patients and and insurers and payers the the the, the employers who who um, employ the the uh, their who hire on with an insurance company that has. A pharmacy plan—they're all in cahoots—and it's—it's uh, it's, yes, they don't—they don't warehouse, they don't store, they—they they simply manage on a computer all of the shuffle paper, shuffle not even paper, they're shuffling data, and they're—they're uh, they're forcing, they're—they're um, they're, um, directing traffic. They're basically very overpaid traffic cops. And it's you know quite quite uh, you know um, uh, in my opinion illegal but and hopefully hopefully we'll see we'll see the legs cut out from under them but but today's show is about the third leg of the stool in in the high cost of health care in my estimation and and that of, of most people and that is um, the the high cost of care is really uh, being driven by the the um, effort to to push care into hospitals and um, anybody who's gone to the hospital to the emergency room knows that they can't get out of the emergency room without a bill that is in the five figures. Um, Anybody who has had an operation in a uh, hospital um, and go ha- takes the time to go through their their bill th- called the explanation of benefits sees line by line different items on there which have price prices associated with them which seem almost unbelievable you know everybody's heard about the five dollar aspirin or the the lab test that that gets unbundled. They draw blood and they put together a series of lab tests that, for the most part, can be put together in a panel on for one price, but the hospital unbundles them and charges $72 per test. And before you know it, you spent over $1,000 just on one blood draw. And so, this is really why healthcare is so expensive, and it, these costs get passed down the line. They get passed down to the third-party payers, and so that's why insurance costs go up and up and up, and so one of the mechanisms that has allowed this to continue has been the Certificate of Need Laws and those the of disease of
0: addiction is a life altering
1: We're we listening <laughs> about this on a regular basis i'm going to just uh, go through this quickly to refamiliarize everybody with what we're talking about but today's topic is pertinent it's it's very timely because now with this legislative session um, underway for 2019 we're seeing a push around the country that is um, fueled by the Trump administration to try to either eliminate or reverse, cut back, scale back the certificate of need laws around the country. So what are certificate of need laws? Well, they are um, laws that were instituted back starting in the 1960s in New York State to protect hospitals and nursing homes. Because the um, these institutions back then were claiming that they were not able to continue their mandate of taking care of needy people because for-profit enterprises were um, were siphoning off resources. The high, the, the, they were cherry picking. They were taking away the um, the the uh, patients who were more lucrative and leaving the hospitals with the scraps. And so certificate of need laws were instituted with the premise, the following premise. Number one, it would prevent the proliferation of of, um, hospitals and skilled nursing facilities so that it would um, be able to allocate those resources better and presumably reduce costs. Um, The other arguments were that it would promote better health care, it would uh, help the underserved community, and so on and so forth. I'm going to finish up with what certificate of need laws are and how they've not um, met this mandate and where we are today in 2019 when we get back into the next break, from the next break. So stay with us.
0: You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening.
1: Welcome back to uh, the Doctor's Lounge. I'm Dr. Hall, and today we are going over Certificate of Need, CON 2019. So I was just laying the groundwork for how Certificate of Need laws Came into being back in the '60s, and they they um, proliferated in the '70s. In the eight in the late '70s, um, the hospital lobby um, convinced the federal government that this was a good thing that that they could save money on Medicare and Medicaid by um, by having a process in place where there was a regulatory process to keep resources from being um, misappropriated, and so the federal government uh, gave money, they incentivized states to create certificate of need laws, and uh, they gave, there was a pool of money where states would be able to um, get these funds from the federal government in exchange for, for um, creating these laws. Ten years later, the federal government um, ex- re-examined what was happening in health care and realized that the promises that were made regarding certificate of need were not kept. And so they took away the stipend to the states. And after doing so, um, initially, um, 12 states reversed their certificate of need laws uh, eventually, a few other states came around and did the same. So now we see that there are still 35 states in the District of Columbia and Guam and Puerto Rico that have certificate of need laws that um, that uh, are in place because the hospital lobby is very powerful in each state and has fought vigorously to prevent these laws from being overturned. So why are they fighting against these laws being overturned? Well, if an entity wants to come in to an area in a state with certificate of need laws, first they have to apply to the state and and show why there is a need for that service. If you wanted to um, put up an an outpatient surgery center. You have to show that there is a need for that for that surgery center. If you want to um, put up a a um, a multi specialty um, center with different specialties, you need to apply to the state and show how that is needed. How that. Service is not currently being provided in the current healthcare environment. But to make this worse, after the state hears this and and allows this to move forward, then the competitors in that geographic area can block your certificate of need from the state.
0: Hal, I, I think one of the best things I've heard the other day was, this is like Truett, Kathy, going to McDonald's and saying, look, I want to put up a Chick-fil-A a half a block away from you and going to McDonald's and asking permission if they can right, right. build it.
1: That's right. This is the the, the hamburger stand. So if, if uh, Bob and Ray want to put up a hamburger stand... Um, Next to you know Burger King, McDonald's, and Wendy's, they would have to sign off on Bob and Ray f- um, opening up their hamburger stand before they could be given permission to open up their business, and that's what certificate of need laws have done. Now, the hospitals contend that that um, the uh, the the reason they have to keep the certificate of need program in place. Is to take care of charity care, to be able to um, help the underserved community. Because what is really, um, uh, well, first of all, there are nonprofit hospitals and for-profit hospitals, and most of the hospitals around the country qualify as nonprofit hospitals. So, what does nonprofit hospital mean? It means that they don't have shareholders. It means that they do not distribute their profits to to the public. What it doesn't mean is that they don't make a profit because they're a nonprofit. Quite the opposite, they are very profitable. They are very powerful. They um, they have um, a proliferation of um, of management that. That has exceeded the um, the proliferation of doctors by a factor of thirty. So three, the increase in the number of hospital administrators in the in, since 1970 has gone up three thousand percent. The number, uh, the increase in the number of doctors since 1970 has gone up one hundred percent. So. So we are seeing a actually a thirty to one ratio of hospital administrator to doctor um, increase and it costs a lot of money to to support that. if you go around the country to any any uh, um, municipality the um, the largest building projects, the newest building projects, the most impressive building projects are hospital projects. In fact, in Dallas, Baylor Medical Center has so much money. They are so flush with cash, this nonprofit um, that they have created their own construction company to build their hospitals and to build their outpatient facilities. So, Non for profit doesn't mean that they're not profitable. It just simply means that they internalize their profits and they they pay, increase their their management team. They pay them very handsomely and um, and uh, they uh, are are quite powerful. They have very expensive lobbyists to try to keep the status quo and convince people in the chamber of commerce and. And in the state legislatures, that they are doing, um, you know, uh, public service by continuing to um, keep the model as is and allow for the uh, um, for them to continue to uh, operate business as usual. The um, George Mason University has a um, a, a center that's devoted to uh, public policy, specifically healthcare called Mercatus Center. And the people who um, work there, many of whom I know personally, are um, academicians who have looked at this data and have really um, insp- they, they've, they've scrutinized it to see if the claims by the proponents of certificate of need actually carry any water. And in a, an article that came out um, less than two years ago from Mercatus by Matthew Mitchell, you know, he asked the specific questions that are always um, the points or, or he he tried to diffuse the arguments by looking at each one that the hospital um, uh, community and the advocates for continuation of CON have advocated for. One of them is, does it ensure an adequate supply of health care resources. If you remember, I said that this, these laws were in, enacted to make sure that there were um, adequate um, resources in health care and, um, and that they were allocated properly. Well, their research, the Mercatus Center's research, shows that states with certificate of need programs have 99 fewer Hospital beds per hundred thousand people than states without these regulations, and and so actually when you limit uh, when you have certificate of need laws, they actually limit the number of hospital beds. By limiting the number of hospital beds, you are actually decreasing access. The second argument that they that always comes out is do certificate of need laws ensure access? health care for rural communities? And the answer is that in in um, uh, certificate of need states um, that there are 30% less rural beds per 100,000 than in states without certificate of need laws. Um, do, do they promote high quality health care? And the data does not support the fact that, that high quality health care is enhanced because of certificate of need laws, just the opposite. It stifles innovation and it, it perpetuates the status quo. And so it does not help with quality of care. In fact, it encumbers it. Another argument is do certificate of need programs ensure charity care? Do they help with, uh, do they actually fulfill their mandate that, that they were given? in exchange for having certificate of need laws. And the research by the Mercatus Center shows that there's no evidence that hospitals in states with certificate of need programs provide any more charity care or care to the underserved communities than hospitals in states without certificate of need programs. Now, there are exceptions. There are certain hospitals that, that step up. I, I don't want to paint this with a broad brush but I do, you know this. This is this is, uh, you know, general principles, and you know you, you have to look at the the entirety of the problem and not just the the exceptions. Um, another of their arguments is that they um, allow that that when you have certificate of need programs that you can um, help direct care to non. Hospital alternatives like um, ambulatory surgery centers or laboratory or or imaging centers, and it's just the opposite. If you have certificate of need laws, those ambulatory surgery centers can't go up. They can't be built. Um, The best example I have that I always use is the Surgery Center of Oklahoma, where they can give the exact same care at the Surgery Center of Oklahoma compared to the hospital down the street at one-fifth to one-tenth of the charge. Now, hospital charges and what they get paid are not the same. I recognize that. If you ever look at what they charge and what they get paid, it's exceedingly, it is startling how much less it is. But at the Surgery Center of Oklahoma, which is a cash facility, what they charge is what they get and they don't charge more so if they tell you that for a knee replacement it's going to cost you $13,000 they can find six other things wrong with your knee and take care of it while they're in there and you're not going to pay a nickel more than $13,000 and that's really what the promise of of health care should be and I'm going to bring us back to 2019 when we get back in the next segment so please stay with us.
3: Hi, I'm Dr. Mike Karuchak. Join me and my co-host, Dr. Hal Schertz, as we talk about the topics that doctors talk about amongst themselves, such as Medicare, Obamacare, alternative forms of care, and health information technology. Join us every Thursday morning, 8 to 9 a.m.
0: You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening.
1: And we're back. Today we're talking about the Certificate of Need laws in 2019 and what's happening around the country. Um, And uh, I was just... Uh, giving uh, the the um, data from the most um, profound most poignant study from the Mercatus Center at George Mason University which debunked the um, many of the arguments made by the proponents for certificate of need and the Mercatus data is the academic data that is being used now in the uh, around the country by by those in state legislatures who are trying to reverse what's going on. The last argument that was uh, made is that certificate of need programs restrain the cost of health care services. And, and I think that anybody who is really... Um, objective and looking at this knows that that's not the case. And I gave in the last segment in at the end of the last segment the example of the Surgery Center of Oklahoma where they're able to slash health care costs. Why why is you know this important? Well, it's really important because, number one, um, it is part of the cycle of maintaining the high cost of health care. And we're not going to see healthcare costs come down until we get on top of all three uh, all three of the legs of that three-legged stool that i uh, started out by talking about that are contributing to the high cost of healthcare insurance um, pharmaceuticals and pbm specifically and um, the 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 high cost of the healthcare itself, what's being charged for the healthcare being administered, not by doctors but by by other parts of the healthcare system, and and so by getting a handle on all three of those, healthcare costs will really um, help. It'll, people will will be will be um, helped by by approaching all three of these. Um, legs of the three legged stool of healthcare. And it's important now at a time where people are spending more of their own money on healthcare, where they are um, responsible for anywhere from um, $5,000 to $16,000 as part of their um, uh, deductible where their co-pays could be as much as 20% of the care. And so th- if, if the care is overpriced because it's allowed to be overpriced, then people are going to be spending a lot more of their own money on health care, and many times they can't afford it, and they've got to make um, hard choices about how they're going to spend the limited resources that they have um, and whether or not they're going to be able to buy medicine or they're going to be able to have an operation or they're going to be able to um, have somebody who is you know, sick in their family seen. And, and that should not be a choice. And if we don't tackle this problem, if we don't face this and be proactive about taking care of this, there are going to be others who are going to do it for us. And that's going to be... Worse for everybody, because the people who are going to take care of it for us are going to be people on the left who are spinning a beautiful a beautiful tale about health care for all, medicare for all, giving free health care for everyone and that's that's just that's that's unicorns and rainbows that does not work and there'll be a system where health care will be worse for everybody except for the privileged few of course like the people who are proposing this. So so we've got to figure out a way of proactively tackling this and disarming those who would um, lie to the public and tell them everything is bad and this is how we're going to fix it because they'll never be able to fix it the way that they're promising. So what's happening now in 2019? Well. First of all, um, this charge to try to fix the certificate of need laws, which will enhance competition and s- begin the process of driving costs down, um, is being led by the Trump administration. Three of the, um, uh, of the uh, uh, cabinet members... Uh, released a 120-page uh, a, a statement, a 120-page report called Reforming America's Healthcare System Through Choice and Competition. And this was um, put together by Secretary of HHS Alex Azar, Secretary of the Treasury Steve Mnuchin, and Secretary of Labor Alex Acosta. And they, this was a very sophisticated um, uh, paper that they came out, which accused states of holding back on innovation in health care with the current laws that are on their books. And they challenged the states to um, make changes. In this report, they said that states should consider repeal of certificate of need statutes or, at a minimum, significantly scale back the scope of their CON regimes, for example, by ensuring that competitors of CON applicants cannot weigh in on these applications. The Bob and Ray example of a hamburger stand and allowing McDonald's and Burger King and Wendy's to to shut it down. They go on to say that CON laws can restrict investments that would benefit consumers and lower costs in the long term and are likely to increase rather than constrain health care costs. Because the secretaries argued that this is because the CON regimes impose legal and regulatory costs in preparing those applications, and then seeing these applications through is often a lengthy approval process and a potential third-party challenge to these, these CON applicants. So they are taking a very strong, hard line on getting these laws uh, turned back um, by the states. Um, they're saying that these these cabinet members go on to say that these laws restrict access to health care for rural Americans with limited evidence that capping the allowable number of beds produces better outcomes. And we hear that from... They're quoting the Mercatus data in, uh, in, in coming up with this conclusion. And they say... Finally, that there is no compelling evidence suggesting that CON laws improve quality, access, or efficiency. Now, one would like to wish that a government that can um, reward states for not, for not having certificate of need laws, as they did in the 1970s, can punish states for having continued CON laws when we now know that this is problematic for um, for Americans, for their health care, for their pocketbooks. Times are very different in, as we approach 2020 than it was back in 1970. And um, I think we need to take another look at this. And that's what the federal government is forcing states to do. Um, they're not forcing them, but when the federal government makes this kind of, um, uh, takes this type of position, it's um, going to hopefully or likely be followed by some action that will help to, um, to uh to spur on the recommendations that they're making. So we're seeing now in the 2019 legislative calendar around the country, multiple states considering modifications to their certificate of need laws. This is the first time in recent memory that I have uh, uh, seen. This flurry of activity regarding CON laws. Every year, there are some states that talk about it. There are uh, lawsuits that are filed, and uh, this is the first time that that there is now real real action going on that that may um, uh, result in some change. And I think it's worrying the special interests. Uh, the hospitals specifically, and they're getting very edgy about this. The states that have uh, um, active bills pending are uh, Georgia, uh, ha- House Bill 198, South Carolina, House Bill 3823, Virginia, House Bill 1680, and Alaska, House Bill 17. Florida is also expected to introduce changes to the C O N laws um, in this session, and in Iowa, there is a federal case which is very unusual. Um, in the eighth, that's made it up to the Eighth Circuit of uh, of U uh, S District Court. Um, that is uh, the a doctor, an ophthalmologist, who is. Uh, um, filing a who has filed a case <coughs> against the Iowa Department of Public Health and the State Board of Health, um, trying to get the uh, law overturned. Um, specifically in Iowa, I'll, I'll just since I, I left off with that, th- this is an interesting case in Iowa. There is a um, this this law is um, uh, a, a ophthalmologist who has been trying to get a surgery center put up for 20 years and has been blocked. He wanted to open up a cataract center in Iowa, and their certificate of need laws are fairly, excuse me, fairly onerous and, would, and prevented him from doing that. And so finally, he got um, the Institute for Justice. To take on his case pro bono, and I'm not sure how they actually got it out of state court and got it into federal court, unless this was uh, done under a RICO violation, the racketeering um, uh, legislation, which would take it into a federal court. But but they are contending that this is restraint of trade. It is anti-free uh, um, uh, trade. It's, pr- it's monopolistic. And this case has made it all the way up to the Eighth Circuit. And the reason why I am very familiar with this case is because as one of the country's experts on certificate of need, I was asked to weigh in on this and to um, uh, act as a friend of the plaintiff um, which I did, and I filed with the help of, of former, uh, Institute of Justice attorney, we created an amicus brief that relied on, in large part, on previous case law, in, which was anti-monopolistic, and also Mercatus Center data, as well as a lot that was written about certificate of need over the last, last, uh, uh 15 years. And so this is actually public information, U.S. Court of Appeals, um, and uh, the amicus brief that was filed by the Docs for Patient Care Foundation in support of the plaintiff. And there's a very good chance that this case will will win. If it does, um, the state may appeal it and it may go to the U.S. Supreme Court, which would be, um, I think, a uh, very important. uh, case to uh, uh, reexamine whether or not uh, health care should be limited on a state by state basis, and that would be a sweeping um, result um, that would uh, change things overnight but in the meantime, there are um, the states that I mentioned who have uh, um, uh, laws that are being uh, or bills that are being uh, um, discussed right now in state legislatures and in the last segment I'll just briefly go over a few of those bills uh, and uh, we'll, so stay with us in the doctor's lounge.
2: Thank you. This is Dr. Susan Blank, host of Detailing Addiction and medical director of the Atlanta Healing Center. Please join me on Tuesday afternoons at 4 p.m.
0: You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening.
1: Thanks for being with us today in the Doctor's Lounge. Um, I'm Dr. Hal. We've uh, covered um, the latest on Certificate of Need on this show and uh, left off um, telling you about the uh, Iowa uh, challenge, which is in federal court. I'll finish up by telling you about some of the state challenges. Some of these state challenges um, are supported by the a um, uh, position paper that was written by the Trump secretaries of HHS, Labor, and um, um, and, uh, I'm, I'm having, and uh, Treasury. The um, there's also a Department of D- of uh, Justice Antitrust Division and Federal Trade Commission uh, report that argues that such laws raise competitive concerns, and that the evidence does not suggest that CON laws have generally succeeded in controlling costs. So we've got multiple agencies in the federal government who are. Challenging the need to continue certificate of need laws, and this is um, helping to push forward the uh, the um, activity that we're now seeing in various states. Uh, I have in the past um, weighed in on a couple of these states: Virginia, uh, their certificate of need program. I weighed in on behalf of the Heartland Institute, who is taking this on. Um, in Alaska, there's a bill. That has been uh, uh, proposed both in the Senate and in the House. And um, in June of 2017, we held a uh, a Certificate of Need meeting in uh, Washington at the uh, at the Heritage Foundation and brought all of the leaders, all of the people who were um, uh, fighting the fight. To overturn certificate of need into a room to compare notes and to uh, to brainstorm and network. And one of the one of the uh, people invited was Senator David Wilson from Alaska. State Senator David Wilson, who couldn't make it, but he sent his um, his uh, healthcare um, liaison to this meeting. David Wilson has been leading the charge in Alaska um, beginning in 2017, and he's done this in each of the uh, legislative sessions. This year, he's done it again. He has filed a bill uh, to repeal Certificate of Need for health care facilities in Alaska. And um, he has uh, uh, met with stiff uh, uh, opposition, but... But this is something that uh, he believes uh, is um, inevitable for Alaskans. And, and the, the, uh, the hospital lobby in Alaska believes that Alaska is uh, unique. Their health care system is different because of their large, um, lower um, uh, economic basis and that the hospitals need to continue the status quo in order to uh, pr- uh, to provide that care for their citizens and I think that this is the same position that hospitals take in every state all around the country and so um, this is uh, I think uh, a um, uh, this their effort in Alaska is not different than what we're seeing around the country in different uh, states um, in Georgia where I'm at this is um, being uh, uh, met with fierce opposition from the hospital lobby. This this bill, uh, there are two bills actually in Georgia. Um, one that calls for um, eliminating the certificate of need program, and I don't think that that's likely going to pass. There's another bill that calls for scaling it back and replacing it with a. Uh, accreditation process and vigorous licensing licensing system, it would um, pave the way for competition in the uh, Atlanta market, um, which comprises eighty five percent of the healthcare in Georgia. It would limit the um, the uh, creation of hospitals and freestanding. Uh, surgery centers in rural Georgia, when those services exist um, within a 20 mile radius of wanting of the site that's being proposed, and although this is a uh, a, a compromise, it is something that is um, not ideal, but it is uh, a start. Uh, because Georgia has one of the most restrictive certificate of need processes in the country, um, under uh, this proposal, the nonprofit hospitals would have to adhere to indigent and charity requirements of 7.35% of their revenues. Um, but the for-profit hospitals would have to also give indigent care um, at a less um, Less percentage, four point three five percent requirement, and the reason for that difference is the tax benefit given to the nonprofits. Um, that would um, it's felt equalize that um, that difference, and so that's why um, non for profits have a higher um, uh, requirement for indigent care. The um, the the the. Uh, Hospitals are fighting this in Georgia because of cancer treatment centers of America, which is um, a very aggressive private um, uh, cancer uh, center that some people may be familiar with. And I'm not um, going to speak of whether they're good or bad, doing the right thing or not doing the right thing, but people have a choice at least when centers like this are allowed to be put up, and I think that that uh, the the resistance by hospitals is for center like this, which is um, very successful, very well funded, and has very high profile, uh, allowed to come up in their in their uh, backyard. the The argument. Uh, that that is is levied by the hospitals, which I, I I must say I agree with in some part, is that hospitals are are part of a community. They are they are a um, they they employ people. They they do good work. They do charity work. They help support charitable um, efforts in in a local area. They're part of the fabric of the community, and their argument is that if you allow carpetbaggers to come in, private equity firms, to just put up facilities and just undercut them because they have large um, uh, treasuries, large large bank accounts, and and try to put them out of business, you're not doing the community a favor. You're actually hurting the community in the long run. So to that extent, I I, um, I can sympathize with their their position, and and I think that there needs to be a happy medium where if you you don't allow um, the proliferation of of outside interest to just put up facilities that if you're going to eliminate or cut back certificate of need laws, you have an obligation to allow people who are delivering health care in the community to continue to do it but you shouldn't you shouldn't regulate the people who are currently in the market who want to expand or do things from being able to do that because the 800 pound gorillas in that in that marketplace are flexing their their financial and political muscle and that's and that's the balance that we need to find. And I think that there's, there's common ground there and there's, there's ways of doing that. Personally, I believe that, that doctors in, who are not employed by hospitals and hospitals can work together as partners, not as um, one subservient to the other, but work together as partners and develop uh, models, develop places where healthcare care can be delivered at a less expensive, more affordable basis and a better, on a better um, uh, uh, basis, on giving better care. And if you give better care, at even if it's a bit more expensive than it could be at a competitor, if you give better care, you're giving people the choice to say, you know what, I'm willing to spend 10% more. Or twenty percent more to get the best doctors, get the best facilities, get the best outcomes, and that's that's where this really needs to go. If you compete on quality and you compete on on um, on customer service, accessibility, outcomes, on price, I think that everybody wins. But if you if you use the political system to force certain things to happen, then that's that's when things go off the rails, and that's where we are right now. And I, you know, and I'm optimistic that um, that we are headed in a in the right direction. And I'm always the optimist in healthcare. Those of you who've listened to this show for all the years that we've been doing this know that um, even though I spin a tale of doom and gloom and black clouds, I wouldn't be doing this if I wasn't optimistic about where we're heading. And if we're not optimistic and we are not proactive, then we are going to see the people on the extreme left who I don't want to name, but who you know who are spinning these fantastical tales of what the government can do for people with health care, people are going to believe it if they have no prospect for something better. That always happens in, in, um, in environments, in countries, where people feel like they have nothing to lose, and so they go for these promises that are being made by people who can't fulfill those promises. And that is exactly what is going to happen in healthcare. if those of us who have the ability, who have the opportunity to make positive changes for patients don't step up and do the right thing and start to do this. The last thing we want is to see... Um, limited choices and have the government tell us what we need to do. That's going to be no good for anybody. So I hope that this show fulfilled our mandate which was to educate and keep you informed about what's going on and um, I uh, uh, if anybody has any comments please send them uh, via email to Doctor's Lounge at America's uh, Webradio.com, and we will uh, we'll, uh, be able to address those. Stay, come back and uh, listen to me in two weeks when I'll be back with you with another timely show, and next week, uh, Dr. Mike will be back with you uh, doing his bit. So thank you for joining us in the Doctor's Lounge.
2: The Docs for Patient Care Foundation is your way to join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. Get a pen and paper. Write down www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. Go to our site and please make a generous tax-deductible donation and join the fight today. Thank you.
0: You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening.